coach. Radhika Bapat, our guest today, is one of very few internationally recognized Indian psychologists practicing and residing in India. Radhika graduated from the prestigious Leiden University in Netherlands and was trained at the Albert Ellis Institute, New York. She has worked as the head of department of behavioral sciences and mental health at Sayadri Hospital Pune until 2018. and is often invited by national as well as international universities and institute as an esteemed speaker in this episode radhika shared some insights on why did she choose psychology as a profession how she uses storytelling as a way to work with adults as well as children her tips on what keeps any marriage or relationship thriving and when is it the time to quit in a relationship At the end she asked me three specific questions to test graphology. Did she agree or disagree with my analysis? I am not telling that to you now. Radhika will join us on the other side of this short break. Stay tuned. Peshe khidmat hai aapki shaan mein hamare anjuman se. Hi, I am Sadaf and I am Arshit. Khane ka itihas, economics, policy, psychology सब है मेन्यू पे ओनली ऑन द नानकारी पॉडकास्ट एवरी वेंसडे सिर्फ आई वी एम पॉडकास्ट एप या वेबसाइट पर या फिर जहाँ से भी आप अपने पॉडकास्ट सुनते हो Thank you, Radhika, for joining us. And absolutely right, this is a pleasure. And also, I am mesmerized by the journey that you have been through. Please tell me, of all the professions, why did you choose this fascinating, but uh, in a way, you know, not that lucrative profession? When I chose to become a psychologist, it was a time when psychology was not yet uh, much of a profession. Right. It more of a well, if you have nothing else to do, then that's what you do. And so I, I, I didn't really choose it. Okay. It was a, a very curvy, linear uh, way in which I got there. I, I, I was doing my commerce uh, because all my friends after my tenth. Okay. They were in, uh, they were in symbiosis. Okay. Doing their, I mean, because everybody goes there, so I went and I followed, and then I uh, was influenced by. I had mentors in my life who luckily helped me out. Okay. And um, I had volunteered in a, a hospital, and at that point, uh, my mentor he suggested that I not do chartered accountancy, which after my twelfth I had uh, planned to do. Uh, I had planned to do, yeah, and then so when I came in here, I was uh, not sure if I was going to major in psychology, sociology, applied mathematics, and um, at the time I had taken a lot of math subjects, but then I went for the first class and realized that I don't think I can follow what's going on. So that was how. Okay. Um, and I and uh, psychology was something that attracted me a lot because the head of department then was a very kind woman. Okay. and i loved that she spoke in this kind way and so i knew nothing about the profession <laughs> but by the second and third year when you have to choose what your major is i was quite sure that i wanted to do uh, psychology and i also had a really great set of friends whom i made there in, in the uh, psychology department yes and at that time the psych department was different from what it is today okay Uh, so yeah, so I made a really, really amazing set of friends who are very good friends with me till date, and so that's probably why. So I get influ, I get influenced by peers a lot, <laughs> and so I, I would say it was peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are so happy that you know the sheer pressure got you here to literally work and things that you do. Now, what were the challenges after choosing psychology, and especially in that time, what were the actual challenges? Because you didn't know what you're getting into, obviously. That was one, and second thing is financially. Uh, I wasn't sure if uh, I mean I was told repeatedly that this is not a profession where you make money. Hmm. Um, luckily for me, I have very supportive. Uh, I have a very supportive set of parents, grandparents, and so that really helped. 
Okay. Uh, and it's not that I wasn't exposed to, you know, mental health issues before because I come from a family where there are many people who struggle with uh, issues. Mm. So I had seen, so, but it, the thing is, it was never abnormal for me. You know, the, the, we have a subject called abnormal psychology right. in our second year. Uh, and it was really strange for me because it was completely normal. It was typical. It was the stuff that I'd seen. And the thing is that um, the people I, my family who suffered from mental health issues were very intelligent. They were very kind. Mm. Uh, they were amazing people. And so uh, then learning about it um, formally where they, they label them in a way in which it makes them look different. This was this was something that I struggled with from the beginning because this couldn't be that person whom I love. This is something else. And uh, so from the very beginning, I think uh, I had issues with things that I read. So I, I have this habit of keeping notes. And so I have many, many notes from then, mm-hmm. uh, including my disagreements with some of the things that I read. Um, so, Even yeah, as, so a, as a student, like when you are just exploring it, you instinctively didn't like certain things or didn't agree with them. Yeah, because I, I knew people who were not those things. So if they said schizophrenia, mm-hmm. if they said bipolar affective disorder, well, I, I know someone that I love who has these things and it doesn't seem like they are like this. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was always personal. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, uh, initially the resistance was basically I wasn't sure of the profession itself. Mm. Uh, I was questioning the profession and I was questioning what was being taught. Secondly, I had a problem. I I didn't know what was going to happen in the future. Mm. Um, And it was not a profession then. Right, of course. Uh, It was more like people looked at it as a hobby then, right? Like people did it and they studied because they loved studying and then you get back to your regular life. Absolutely. And also I think sociology and psychology are like basically you have to get married after yeah. that. That's the trajectory. Uh, you don't do much after that. So that's not the case. Incidentally, those who are in my batch, many of the people there are doing really well for themselves. Oh, nice. They have stuck to the profession. You know, there was a very well-known paper written by a professor called Gaurish Prabhu. Okay. Uh, he's very well-known in the profession. And he, he spoke about the three M's that are a problem or a burden for psychologists. One is matrimony because many people who chose psychology then were women yeah. more women than men so then the women get married and they're lost to that second was migration so you married somebody who then moved somewhere else so you had to move with that person uh, and third was misplacement which is essentially uh, you study psychology but you end up doing something completely different right so he said we lose a lot of candidates to these things that's so true actually when you look at it that's so yeah. interesting yeah, yeah, and and yet, uh, predominantly, people in in positions of power in the profession were male at the time, and also because uh, the stu- female students did not go through the professional journey, and thereby only. And this is interesting because ten years ago, most famous psychiatrists or psychologists were men, and now that is changing. It's definitely changing. Yeah, in fact, there's a book which just came out uh, called uh, I think Imminent Indian Psychologists. And I was going through it mm-hmm. and I said, well, why is there just one woman name in it? Because I know many, many more women who have done great things in the profession. So, you know, our profession is struggling with the same discrimination that all other professions are as well. So that's that's the other thing, right? As a woman in the profession, you have to um, fight yeah. your way through it, even in this profession, which is in a way more maternal and has more empathy instinctively given to us and still we are struggling to to fight our battles yep and then while i was doing the profession there were many things which were considered abnormal which today are not which i'm so happy uh, to know that they're not so i think that um i'm very happy with the way the profession is going and i'm very happy with the progress that we're making now but nevertheless i took one day at a time then from from my ma i did my mphil and my phd but that was not foreseen it just happened <laughs> So for our listeners, if you look at mental health and, you know, the challenges that people face and you come across them and you speak about them in different forums and different platforms every now and then. So what are those few things people should keep in mind right now, keeping the scenario in mind? Where where can they begin? Because if they have some discomfort and they are not aware whether they should consider, uh, consult somebody or consider this option, how how do you know? Where do you begin? So I think the first issue is um, with the stigma, Mm. 
but i always see every time you say i think i'm feeling a certain way a lot of adults if it's a minor who's feeling this way uh adults usually attribute it to something that they've done or a problem as a result of which uh, there there's a cause and effect mm-hmm. so they they say we go wrong somewhere and so a lot of times they say well you have everything yeah Why is it that you're facing these issues? So they feel that, oh, wait, uh, are you trying to seek attention? Is this an attention-seeking behavior? That's the first thing that, that comes to people's mind. The very first thing is they try to attribute it to something that is external and not themselves. Mm. Uh, or they try, if it's external, then they try to look at what went wrong. how did it go wrong mm. and why do you have to go elsewhere why don't you just consult with us and we'll solve your problems right. and if it's internal then they feel like no but we did everything right so uh and you know bringing was great so what happened yeah and so that becomes a very big issue as far as minors are concerned to even address the problem mm. um so once that hurdle is i met i mean once i think people have crossed that hurdle the second issue i see is uh what i call as doctor shopping <laughs> um i think once you see somebody and let's say parents uh, and you have a minor who goes to various doctors the parents kind of tag this person along and say okay now let's go to this person let's go to that person and then i think it's a real big problem for minors yeah. to then have to repeat what's going on over and over and over again mm. so i do think that becomes a problem and i mean this is for minors mm. right Yeah, if if you're an adolescent, uh, this is an issue. But if you are about eighteen, nineteen, and above, then I think the issues are more financial. Hmm. Um, so, whom do I go to? Who can help me out? Uh, and will it cost a lot? So, I think those concerns come in, and uh, there are there is a menu of options available as far as India uh, India is concerned. And then, of course, there's also the not not being aware of whom to go to. Hmm. Um, so do i need to see somebody who does flower remedies do i need to see a masseuse do i need to see you know yeah i think but uh, as a result of information technology people are getting more and more informed sure. and they're able to take informed decisions and they're able to make out things like okay there seems to be a mental health act in india we have some rights and they're able to then take an informed decision which i think in the long run really helps Uh, because if you go to somebody who advises you wrongly especially in the profession sure. because that's very possible sure. like in all professions um then it becomes a bigger problem to undo the damage that's done and it is in, an internal damage so you can't even fix it externally yep. so for example uh where you know at the time that i was studying uh homosexuality hmm. was been given and it, uh, and they said that you know we we need to we need to call, uh treat homosexuality and so this was always a problem from the very beginning oh my god i think quite a few of us had issues with this but um but where i was working and studying at the time um it was considered a problem and so uh instinctively you feel empathy for clients who come in and who feel that they are a problem hmm. and you want to say that no that's not you know that's identity this is not an issue right but um yeah so then that has evolved over time and so i feel that a lot of conformity studies which has been, which have been done in psychology uh have shown that people who go with their instinct in some ways mm. uh, and they know that something is not right can stand up and leave therapy with someone who they feel is damaging them more than helping them right but then there's a very gray area here because sometimes uh even in uh, cognitive behavior therapy you there are some hard truths that people have to face uh, but done professionally so how do you distinguish people who are trained in doing this versus people who are just doing you it. know bringing in their own bigotry and their own uh problems into therapy as a therapist that's a so these are these are these are issues in therapy do, <laughs> do you find like you know uh, i was talking to somebody many years ago and he was fascinated by the way indians believed in god and he said you know how does this work like how about your needs and how about your security net and how can you just believe in this invisible idea of god and just given now your work is lot to do with eastern and western psychology so i thought you are the perfect person to ask this question so 
do you see that people use religion or rituals as a blanket to not address the issues at hand my personal beliefs i kept aside when i go in to therapy uh and i realized that when i am in therapy um i get people who are the range from believing in god uh to being atheist and agnostic to being anti-theist and you know there's a whole array of people there so that usually when religion is used uh, as a coping mechanism and as a positive coping mechanism i don't interfere but there are a lot of movements in the country uh, one of them is a very well known movement it's called uh, dawa and dua so in community mental health where they say that we don't want to take away your religion from you but how about you do both you go with that and you also if required take in medication and do therapy and so it's not hmm. a question of either or as much as it is a question of and right uh and i do think that uh my personal beliefs whatever they are don't interfere with my relationship with my client and what their beliefs are sure so uh, so yeah so that i am very very uh, taken by mythology hmm. and i love reading and it's not restricted to any one particular religion so i i make sure to bring in stories into my i got therapy. hooked to your instagram page because of your stories and mythologies i thought they were fascinating and they were so engaging and in the manner you narrate them i think uh, you were mentioning that it comes from working with kids and you really uh, get inspired to make those stories so animated and so real and so relatable is there anything you would like to share with us my mother introduced me to stories from when i was a kid okay and i was also addicted to tinkle uh, i don't know if they still have tinkle but <laughs> <laughs> we have we have so many people who love tinkle for sure so yeah so i i grew up with tinkle and i grew up with uh, amar chitra katha and i grew up with asterix and obelix oh. uh and i also grew up with uh, tintin um <laughs> so these are uh, so i love i absolutely enjoy comics and i enjoy the format that uh, where you even if you can't let's say read you can still sequentially look at the expressions of all or the micro expressions of let's say shikari shambhu uh, you know so i i thoroughly enjoyed stories and i realized that a lot of times i used to use stories to cope right with uh issues that i had had mm. and most of the issues that i had uh were internal not external because uh i have always thought you know that in some ways i can i i'm lucky enough to have been in a stable environment or what i considered was stable mm-hmm. uh so my very immediate family uh were very stable mm-hmm. whatever instability exists exists in the outer circles um and everyone in my family so my brother my mother my father they are all very helpful people mm-hmm. and uh unconditionally so okay so the one thing that i realized is that there is a sense of there's a very un- there's an unconditional aspect mm-hmm. to our relationship that really helps and that for me was really important uh with children mm. and so when i worked with children uh i worked for quite a few years mm. until i had my own son mm. and i realized that i very rarely i don't remember honestly a time when i felt like i judged anybody coming in mm. and so the love was always there the unconditional acceptance was always there the problem with me was i think more holding myself back and not getting too involved mm. um and i used a lot of imagination and magic so these are two things that have permeated through and through uh i believe in uh, different kinds of magic i don't mean <laughs> the hallucination but i mean um i i really really enjoy magical things okay and i think children who understand that i'm using that more for coping mechanism mm. also uh we we share a very good rapport and so with kids i tend to use the story of walter mitty where you know uh you make up stories and this i learned from my mother of course okay. you are sitting in a classroom and you are very bored but in the meanwhile you know he has traveled somewhere in his imagination he saved somebody mm-hmm. he saved a fight from crashing and then he's come back yeah so i feel it's okay to zone out sometimes <laughs> so she gave um, like actually the creative expression for you to zone out So you could officially yeah. zone out. I love zoning out. My son zones out far more than me, okay. and uh, I I love that he does that. Okay. Uh, I think it's a great coping mechanism. 
uh, I also feel that I make up stories mm. on the way, um, you know, so on the spot. Mm. So if there's a person who comes in, mm. I take him whatever it is that they're facing and then we make up things. Mm. And so there's no really one particular story that I narrate to kids. With the adults, of course, they like stories that they've already been exposed to and you want them, you know, they want to be it to be familiar. Right. With kids, they're open. They can jump in anywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they add on to it. So it's like a little tree and then they start adding flowers and they start adding the fruits and they start making up fruits and they start, you know, it's just, it's just wonderful. My father uh, bought me a lot of Russian stories as a kid. So as a child, I, I grew up reading Russian comics. And when I look back and think about it, I do not know anybody who was exposed to that. And I don't know why Russian comics, but all the pictures were different and all my references were very, very different. So when I actually hear stories and other people talk about Tintin and other things, I'm clueless because I actually did not read them while growing up. So uh, I'm curious to know as a therapist, when you look at relationships and, you know, it's also coming from the unconditional space. I, I asked you this in our initial conversation. I'm curious to know about your 15 years long marriage because most therapists, uh, I, I can't say most, that is right, like generalizing the concept, but I've met many therapists who struggle. Like they're so unconditional with others and they are very giving and they, they understand objectively. But when it comes to their own relationship, they tend to struggle with that. So for anybody who is, you know, looking for relationship as a concern area, what are the few things like four or five things we should keep in mind? So one of the things that I think is really important is leaving little notes for each other. And, you know, uh, Justin leaves me notes till date. Uh, (laughs) I leave him notes everywhere. Um, So that's, I think a very important part of a relationship. Second thing is, I think both Justin and I have ideals. So I, I we, we know what a relationship, a good relationship looks like. Mm. We've also seen what a not so good relationship looks like. Mm. And, um, you know, so I think that taking that learning of what not to do is equally important. Mm. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to take it from outside. Mm. So he and I have been through a fair share of ups and downs. And I think it's so uh, it's so important to um, reflect mm. and to look at what it is that happened mm. to be able to communicate about it. So that's the third thing. I think being open to communicating in a way in which it's not always that you did this, but it's also uh, I think I uh, must have done this. Mm. And I'm sorry I hurt you. And let's, uh, you know, discuss this. Mm. So we are very open mm. to communicating with each other, whatever Whatever it is. Okay. Um, there are some things about the relationship that have... Uh, so the fourth thing is that we've both been hurt. Hmm. Uh, and it's a misconception to think of relationships as uh, happily ever after, as like, the way they show you in fairy tales. Sure. There are many things that I have done very early on in the relationship hmm. uh, that have hurt him greatly and deeply. Hmm. And there are several things that have hurt me as well. Hmm. Um, and rather than thinking that relationship has to be this ideal thing, but see the hurt is, so we both have our boundaries. We both have our limits. Mm. And for me, it's very clear that you cannot, uh, so we can hurt each other in a way in which, you know, words uh, are said, and then there is a reflection and then we improve. And then that doesn't happen again mm. because I don't mean violence, mm. not that kind of hurt. I don't mean hurt where it's intentional. I mean, a hurt where, uh, I've done something and something that I did, mm or an action outside of our relationship really hurt him Hmm. and or something that he did outside of the relationship really hurt me. And I think that that's something that we have worked through Hmm. Uh, and uh, that working through is very, very important. So that's the fourth thing. It's important to sit and work through. And fifth, of course, it's important to understand that when there's a child in the picture, Hmm. um, give yourself five or six years (laughs) 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 to get back the normalcy. (laughs) Because I think, uh, you know, as, as parents, we both mm. prioritize a child mm. uh, to each other. Yeah. And that's a conscious decision that we've both taken. Mm. Nevertheless, we don't, uh, I think that we still, we still try so hard to spend time with each other. <laughs> and we try to give each other space. Mm. Uh, I'm not constantly, so neither of our phones, for instance, has passwords. 
uh, he's free to see whatever he wants and so am I and so that freedom exists but neither of us would actually look in mm. to the other person's phone so we give each other that space um if i if i if i'm uncomfortable with something mm. that i i ask him that hey and i'm i trust uh what he tells me and he trusts what i tell him so i think that um there is a mutual respect which is there despite that space existing and so we've grown and i think we've actually become better as a couple now okay then when we started off so the first few years were rough and it's got better and better and better uh and i think the reason for that is uh you know when they go when you go to a, a pediatrician <laughs> and the pediatrician is trying to take the weight of a baby and there is a scale right. and you keep moving that scale till you find the right weight yeah. <laughs> uh so i i think of a relationship that you could moving left little right and say okay this looks like the golden mean <laughs> that changes over time of course, sure. right? that changing so with the lockdown when couples were like tied together with or without their consent and you know without any option many hidden issues suddenly came out and on ignored issues i may say and they are finding it extremely difficult like i have spoken to so many people who are constantly struggling with this realignment because you know they knew these were the issues they did not look at it and now they cannot ignore it so what can one do with that see all of evolution is realignment when well, any, <laughs> any evolutionary event that has happened has required mm-hmm. some sort of metamorphosis so you, it it requires for you to make this uncomfortable shift um and when um there are plates that are rubbing against each other there's going to be some friction mm-hmm. at the end of it the end result can be smoother than before you don't have to always uh, the friction doesn't always have to indicate <laughs> a break sure uh, of course there are uh, i mean of course when i when you speak about this i don't speak about cases where there is uh, violence or any form of issue with consent mm. so those are not the areas that i'm talking about but generally if there are issues with with space mm. for instance because one of the things issues that has come out is people don't have space yeah uh, and they're constantly and whose time is more important sure. this is a second question that people say is my time more important than your time mm. or whose work weighs more mm. you know is housework lesser than or greater than um and so that lesser than greater than equation where it's not really lesser or greater than it's actually equal to uh, is a realization that, that you require to do and for the first time historically for the first time we have understood that in the lockdown especially when we were stranded by everyone else <laughs> yes so i think the learning in some ways is a, is not it need not be a learning that is hurtful it can be hurtful but it need not be bad necessarily i think it could be something that's for the greater good mm-hmm. in some ways um perspective matters and also it, it's important to say that uh, i feel ouch mm-hmm. that's okay <laughs> uh, yeah we are all going through it we all feel it and yeah so have a glass of wine at night <laughs> you know cheers to you and your partner so when is it a time to give up in a relationship according to you yeah that's a tough one it's a very it's very different for different uh, couples i know that there are some couples where uh, it should have uh, they should have ended it some time back mm-hmm. but they are continuing because of peer pressure social pressure uh, because they're too used to being together i think when the relationship becomes more of a burden mm. then uh then you want it to be in a way in which it's derailing every other um aspiration that you have in life it's taking too much away from you mm. uh, and there's nothing that you're getting in terms of the feeling of being together being on the same team mm. you start feeling that we are on opposite teams sure uh i think that's that's a problem any sort of violation of course there's no question as far as uh, i know people uh, the laws of a country don't necessarily uh for example i i won't mention the country or the law but i can say that there is no such thing as marital rape let's say sure but there is yes. right yep. so that's a violation that's i think a clean violation and if you feel violated hmm. uh and if that violation is something that you feel that this is the boundary i'm not going to take this then i think to and this could be both sides i'm not necessarily saying it's a uh, male 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 female uh female anyway uh so gender irrespective i think that in a relationship 
it's really important to know what your boundaries are uh, but yet it's important to not overdo it in terms of for example uh, I actually i actually know um yeah so i know someone who where this is an issue my desk space and your desk space you know that's not what i mean by yeah. boundary yeah <laughs> you know i i used to i toilet to up and down that's not that's not what i mean by boundaries i i mean more much more intense issues i used to speak a lot like as to consider uh, you know the need for boundary as a major issue and then after some time as i read more and i got exposed more i realized that actually boundaries are overrated in many ways in the way they are implemented in relationships or everywhere we just kind of treat them as barriers that we push people away by saying oh this is my boundary and you can't be dishonoring me and disrespecting me we do that because in our minds we have some set ideas about it so i agree with what you are saying yeah although i mean it's so like i said if a boundary for me for instance i can speak about myself mm. i i don't like uh if i write a diary and the diary is very personal and i don't lock the diary and it's not online um i don't like and i everyone knows i think in my house that i don't like people looking into what i've written because i'm quite open and candid in what i say and i don't necessarily mean what i say but there's a one space which is a very personal private space i've done it since when i was a kid mm. um and nobody so it doesn't matter whether it's my husband or my son mm. they both know that that's a no go mm. and so it's not just boundaries with my partner uh with my child as well they know areas that are sensitive mm. and they don't test those limits mm. um and so i don't not let them know that's the other thing so when it comes to boundaries i i know that it, everyone knows mm. um so that's one thing second is touch mm. uh i'm you know so i feel that there are relationships where people are okay with being pushed mm. being shoved being and i'm not okay i think that's a clear violation of a boundary mm. uh so there's a lot of gray areas in the word boundary which is why it's very important to to kind of be careful while using that mm. word right so i'm trying to kind of be careful but i do believe that one shouldn't overdo it like and still yeah. not not have it Yeah, like like the toilet seat example that I gave. <laughs> That's not a reason to get divorced. Okay, is there anything you know? We speak a lot about uh, celebrating failures or damages. Now, in your case, and I'm going to come to that question later. But in your case, when you look at your story, when you look at your journey, is there anything that stands out that was really tough for you to deal with, but shaped you in a way that you wouldn't have done without it? That keeps happening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually it's people that shape me okay more than things that shape me mm. and so a lot i'm a lot of my life i think i've had luckily people who because of the way they've been have either decided i don't want to be like them <laughs> so that has really shaped who i am <laughs> clarity for sure <laughs> <laughs> i think that has happened a lot with me actually uh you know when i see people in in a position of power authority and then i say that's definitely not something so i enjoy that they are in that place okay great but i definitely don't want to be like them when it comes to their let's say personality hmm. uh and so i've come i've so many great people that i know who are so good at what they do hmm. and yet are such rotten people <laughs> you know <laughs> that i always told myself that the one thing that i need to get hmm. is a balance and that's why i've always uh, looked up to uh, my parents in that way they've managed to get that balance both of them uh-huh. uh so i've had role models in my life where i could say that you know they both got it mm. and then i i i i feel less like i'm there but i definitely i strive towards getting a balance between uh extremes that's incredible uh, to have both your parents on that note yeah yeah i've been very lucky and uh, i've had i have a brother who's got a fantastic sense of humor so the unit all four of us <laughs> i've seen i've seen congruence okay i have seen synchrony mm-hmm. i have seen peace i have seen uh we really really get along like a house on fire okay. and there's nobody outside of course now we have got people into the fold so my sister in law my husband my son all of us are now in this fold where i don't think people can you know get in right. so that will shape me mm. that stability uh, is very i think it's something that i want to propagate uh, also sure. there is that 
what else uh, has shaped me my grandmother has shaped me uh, her dying has shaped me mm-hmm. um and yeah that that's about it and of course uh, movies and especially uh, animated movies <laughs> the most recent thing that's shaped me actually is having watched david attenborough's uh, documentary how nice uh, yeah so that really upset me in some ways uh, and i i that is something that i've been thinking about the entire uh, two weeks okay. last two weeks and so that's shaping me because i'm very much aware of you know what i'm using and if i need to use it mm. and if i can recycle it or if i can just so yeah so there are different things that shape me and it keeps happening every day i think but i i see on instagram also and we spoke about this that your morning hour of reading and exploration and art so you know there is this constant process where you are letting life happen and you are interacting with it in a very very active manner and people don't tend to do that they just tend to conclude and then they shut down but you are constantly questioning and you say can i make it better can i change it can i alter it which is very inspiring to learn from this really really incredible i i learned from my grandmother who uh, had a very difficult life hmm. all her life till the end i mean i think um she really struggled so i've seen that as well but she thrived Okay. despite her struggle she thrived and so there's something that i've learned from her where she says uh, don't ask uh, i mean see, she says usually we ask the question how's life hmm. how are you treating life hmm. and she said no that's not the question you should ask you should ask uh, how is life treating no so how is life treating you sorry is the question yeah, you will ask how is life treating you, you. So, yeah yeah, yeah. So she said you should ask other way around how are you treating yeah. life Yes. So I I I that's really something that stayed with me. I I keep telling myself it's not a, it's a, how am I treating life? Because there are so many people out there who are resilient who are going through a lot. Yep. And uh I learned so much from uh my clients. Mm. I learned so much from about pain from them and how to handle pain. Um so in that sense I think my clients are my biggest teachers. Oh nice. On that note Radhika let's uh, turn the tables. and this is very interesting to talk about you based on your writing so over to you any questions anything that you want to ask me so one of the things that i had uh, was struggling with is i've always thought of um, some some kinds of therapies or even handwriting analysis as as a pseudo science mm-hmm. and so i was curious to know your opinion or your take sure. on that um and the second thing is that can it do more harm in some cases hmm. uh, just like you know even in therapy sure uh, but especially when someone has faith in something sure uh, just like the faith healers we spoke about earlier um then it can be something that can really affect a person to the extent where it shapes their life in a way in which you don't want it to shape their hmm. life so these are the two questions that i yes. have yes great i'm so happy you're asking these questions because you know till date i've been doing this for 16 years and almost every day at least once i answer this question is handwriting legit does it even like work what is like the the logic behind it now when i began the journey halfway through and i'll, I'll come to that part but halfway through i realized that i need more evidence because i got trained uh, in myer briggs type indicator personality assessment so i got certified in that and 16 pf and other psychometric tools and i saw the body of work in documenting exactly how to analyze the personality traits and and the kind of uh, sampling that goes in and the way they document it and prove it over and over again now when i look at graphology and the study and after doing my international certifications also when i look at the subject i realize that that amount of documentation has not gone through the process because of which it is constantly thrown into the category of pseudoscience and i understand where it comes from because i do see the lack of validity that the subject must have for it to qualify now another thing that they did was they gave one handwriting sample to multiple people and then they asked these multiple people to analyze it so empirically the analysis had different interpretation and this is where the the subject was considered as a pseudo science now having said that when i look at the subject being a dyslexic i have been analyzing people or probably finding the patterns which were otherwise not available 
for their observation or mind through any other tool but handwriting so because i i it's my joke i say okay because i could not read on the line probably i had this thing about reading between the lines and this is where the journey began and, and the whole process began more as study psychological patterns and behaviors i understand that there is a platform that one can create if you don't consider graphology as the only feedback mechanism because if you make it the only feedback mechanism that becomes limiting and most people your uh, question is really valid most people do not study psychology to support this they do not do any personality assessment background study to make those comments when you call somebody judgmental you don't know where you're coming from you don't know what all you're bringing to the conversation so that definitely becomes a challenge second point can it do harm is it faith healing no it is i don't think any part of it is healing as such but there are parts which like uh, zen doodling uh, parts which can be like mind body coordination when you use a particular method it is calming it has an effect it has a specific effect but is it faith based i don't think so because most of my clients don't trust it when they begin the process when the process starts working after some time they they kind of slowly shift the the journey and they kind of give it little validity than what they know in the beginning uh but can it do harm i believe so like the way people use graphotherapy or the way they randomly change things or they make you write things and this has been my battle of fight with people that without understanding the larger persona exactly understanding where that person wants to go or where the actual you know like i'm a Jung's fan love his work but like all the shadows without understanding if you just try to change them they find their roots in some other format if you deny the outlet it becomes more difficult for people to then look at it but that's what happens most of the time so i agree so what questions can i answer looking at your writing oh uh, looking at the, my sample mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm I'm going to take a leap of faith here because it's it's very hard for me to do this. Nobody, <laughs> yeah. But um, let me see. So my first question um, is: I'm curious to know if, from my handwriting, you could uh, see if there's any perfectionist traits in my personality. So the clear first answer is yes. and uh, that that the whole perfectionism is also driven by the need for excellence and is also presented like that but you know internally when you become a perfectionist which definitely means that you're fighting those needs to be perfect for your own sake to make sure that everything all ducks are in a row every frame probably is like adjusted the way you think about it so yes so in short that's <laughs> Well, what gave me away? Oh, there's a particular stroke in writing. I call that Michael Jackson stroke. Where <laughs> Michael, <laughs> he had the second hump in the letter M taller than the first hump. Okay, and that one particular trait, which also you carry in your writing, is a uh, very, very, and this is a very direct correlation. Every time I see that, the person may or may not be aware, but the perfectionism exists. Wow. Good. <laughs> well, the second the second question I had which is curious now I'm getting curiouser and curiouser. What uh, is it possible from handwriting to know what a person values um in terms of you know just values in their life. So which values no but if you specify the value we can talk about what is your relationship to that particular value or that particular preference or that ideology so let's say social relationships so it's very interesting space for you when it comes to social relationships because you are very very uh, connected to people at a very deep level but at the same time they feel that they are connected with you you don't feel very connected with them and what uh, makes it look that way in terms of graphological interpretation yeah 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 that's why i'm very interested to know the what how you how you do that so handwriting has something called slant so when the handwriting moves in a particular direction like whether it is moving towards the right or the left it talks about how emotionally responsive you are to the other person and what your needs are and how you look at it more than anything else so in your case your handwriting moves towards right and it tells 
like you know if if people write it uh, to say 60 degree your case it is leaning even more towards right which actually talks about your innate desire to reach out to people and to make sure that they are okay and find connections but at the same time there's other stroke where we speak about how do you socialize in terms of how do you connect with the other person so you can become a borderline loner so many times you disconnect from people and you spend time by yourself only to process the information that you have had and you use i as i as i know you now i can say oh probably art is that way for you to disconnect from them and still look busy so people do not come and they question you what exactly why are you sitting idle so you found your ways to be busy by picking these activities but it comes from your processing time to uh, deal or in a way unwind all the micro observations that you make in a, in a in a regular conversation with anybody i think uh, i'm very happy with both these answers <laughs> so i'm while i might still think it's a pseudo science i'm very happy with your answers <laughs> thank you so much but the second one i i want to elaborate a little bit it's um you actually very right mm-hmm. i uh, i have always loved and i can stay in a room for years <laughs> if you give me a material to read yes um and I, not material as in books that i don't like because then i won't engage with them but things that i can engage with and i'm uh, when you use the word loner i think that that's a very apt uh <laughs> very, very apt description of me i have very deep 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 relationships and deep friendships mm-hmm. uh, but the ones that i have are extremely deep mm-hmm. and we probably speak once in a multicolored blue moon but if there is a problem mm-hmm. or if i sense that there is a problem then they know that i'm i'm there i can be there the next second i'm there for people so you're right on both those counts uh, the third count that you were right on is that it takes me time to process so there's so much of i get very involved in problems and i need processing time because wow it's raining can you hear the thunder i know <laughs> so um it's i need a i need that time to unwind because uh, earlier in the in the day i mean when i just started working i had problems sleeping at night because i would think about um issues with clients and i tend to handle tougher cases uh because i have a very good relationship with therapists as well right and so a lot of times therapists send me cases saying we can't handle this can you handle it sure. so i land up getting cases where uh, i spend a lot of time thinking about them and i want that time for contemplation to only so i will have one case and i will just think about that one case and read up and all of that so that requires for me the last one hour of the day i need to not engage with a human <laughs> and everybody knows this so my phone is off my everything is off and uh, after i finish seeing my clients i will sit for one hour doing nothing <laughs> and i enjoy that doing nothing with my cup of chai and so that's uh, that's also great i think that you got that from my handwriting only well i have a third question i think this will be the final one uh, can you um, interpret from the handwriting let's say if a person like me gets intimidated easily yeah uh, to answer your question can i answer that yes i can and the the reply to that question is yes and no i'll tell you when yes and i'll tell you when no now there are so many norms that you do not agree with internally you detest you do not agree with but there are people that you genuinely value and care for so there is like this uh, kind of a conflict in those relationships where you love them so much that you do not want to hurt them but at the same time no matter what it takes you would not agree or say yes to things that they want you to do or others to do in those specific moments you feel trapped and intimidated with these people it comes from innate respect that you have for these people and that's why the intimidation feeling but other than that when it comes to any life situation see let's look at it like not only because you mentioned it but when i look at your writing uh, and i just asked you specific questions about your parents because i feel the way they raised you they actually gave you the whole idea that you are 
enough, not good enough, but otherwise you're just enough with everything that you bring to the table, the everything that you look at or the observations that you have, they're valuable. Now, somebody with that kind of upbringing, when you look at a situation or a problem or a conversation, you don't know the answers, but you know that you have the ability to find the answers. And you also have the humility to say that I don't know the answer. Now, that makes sure that you do not feel intimidated. But it's only in those specific situation with these people where the intimidation is applicable. I think that's, uh, I mean, I, that too, I, I think I like that answer as well. <laughs> it's correct. That's absolutely right. That's why we named it. <laughs> right. With one caveat with that one, when you said innate respect, mm-hmm. also innate disrespect. Sure. So, <laughs> so ridiculously uh, off. <laughs> those people, you don't feel intimidated. If you genuinely disrespect them, then you understand that they're like noisy people that you have to deal with. Then it is like avoidance. It's not intimidation. Intimidation is only when you have respect and disagreement in one one person. Correct. I don't get intimidated, but I do. Uh, I tend to, I think on some level, my brain just switches off. <laughs> and then I don't, uh, so I don't think of myself greater than or lesser than. I uh, look at it like a specimen, you know, like I genuinely am interested in a person. <laughs> a little specimen. <laughs> because it's a sense of wonder that someone can think a certain way. Let's say, for example, when I look at some of the hate speech that I mm-hmm. see, I actually am unable to understand where it's coming from. So I cannot take it at face value. I, I, I start looking, like you said, at the person. Uh, someone, let's say, says something nasty on Twitter, and then I'm more interested in the person. And I say, let's look at this uh, this human being and what happened. <laughs> Why is there so much anger, uh, and where is it coming from? So I, I get interested in what comes behind that speech more than the speech itself. So yeah, it's and that curiosity and that constant need to explore and and reflect at the same time is your. If I have to give, you know, if I have to give. Two words that will that have been always true about you. Then these are the two words: curiosity and exploration, and uh, sorry, curiosity and reflection. Because for you, you absorb and then you reflect and then you try to make your interpretation and your meaning with those aspects. Which is, you know, to have that at this age. Not not that you're old, but the fact that you constantly, in spite of having learned so much, I've seen uh, professionals in this this field who feel that they got there, they, who feel that they have their theory sorted out, they know how to do it. And that to me feels like stagnation. And the fact that you constantly keep questioning your own stagnation is inspiring. Definitely. But I feel, I, I mean, I always thought growing old, uh, you know, people the way they say growing old, oh my God, I'm growing old, I need to look young. I, on the other hand, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> That I, I turned 36 this year, and I'm, I'm, I can't tell you how beautiful last six years have been. Like the other side of 30 has been like really romantic with myself, not with other person. Like that, that probably is not the conversation, but with your own self. And I feel you are saying it's the same thing with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm an oh, Did you hear that? I think Zeus agrees with us. Yes. <laughs> But I think I think that uh, I feel like an 80-year-old inside of 40 <laughs> I don't quite enjoy uh, losing people I love because as you grow older, that's part of the process which you don't lose. Not everyone loses as many people when you're younger. So except for that bit, I'm enjoying every other bit of it. So Radhika, before we uh, end our conversation, I have two last questions. First one is, how can we use uh, Indian mythological stories to really learn from. And, you know, nowadays people speak a lot about it. There are many shows, there are different podcasts happening there. What is your take? You have great interest in this topic. So what is your take on that? How can we use it? So firstly, I think that when you look at Indian mythology, I mean, I don't, I think India has a diaspora of all different kinds of uh, tales and not just mythological tales, but you have, uh, you know, you have the Jataka, you have, uh, I mean, I personally also like a lot of tales that have come down from Persia mm-hmm. uh, and from Azerbaijani literature. So I enjoy all of that and not just stories, but poem, poetry, 
so poetry and prose all of it i think is very rich and that's something that uh, we have we've been endowed in terms of we have so many uh, folk tales oh. uh, i have a lot of folk tale books which i refer to i think that first thing is it helps with establishing a rapport with mm-hmm. your client so let's say as a client who comes from a particular part of karnataka and i happen to know uh, a, a tulu folk tale from that space because i while i was there i read those tales mm-hmm. and then i speak to them about it mm-hmm. and they correct me they say nahi nahi that's not what happened this is what happened we also had such a rich tradition of puppet theater right. uh, you know leather puppets yes. so i feel that all of that mm-hmm. really helps with flow and uh, the concept of flow and when i think of flow it is basically understanding what the other person is trying to say mm-hmm. by bringing it to a person's level such that they don't have to think or be intimidated by you mm. as uh, you know this white collar a doctor who said knows everything and i have to follow what they call you saab na is a doctor saab sure and i'm firstly i'm not a doctor but any person in the medical profession is considered is revered in our country and that's a big problem uh, the problem is that i think it can be taken in the right way or the wrong way so what i mean is that people can take ad, 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 can use it to their advantage mm. uh, especially if you're in a position of power mm. and they can start enjoying that power mm. uh, so one way of i think that being taken away the power equation is mm. stories so when i'm narrating a story to a person suddenly now we are in the same we are now both spectators and we are both listening we are both enjoying we are both partaking of right. the pleasure that that story has to tell so in some ways for me that really helps bringing us both on the table on the same level and we are now friends and now let's discuss this thing at the same time being a therapist there's also a need for a certain boundary so mm-hmm. i don't touch my clients for instance without mm-hmm. touching them i can still emotionally touch them and i think that's what stories do how nice how nice So last question is there any quote any statement any poem that you actually uh keep as a reminder when you're going through a tough time it's uh i wouldn't say a quote but i love the poem if by rudyard kipling you do you, have you have you read the poem of course oh, <laughs> so i can i can i can recite it or at least the last part of it if you want or i i can just not do that i know <laughs> sorry please recite it we would love it so the the part that i like uh is if you can make one heap of all your winnings mm-hmm. and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there's nothing in you except the will which says to them hold on so that's that's a bit that i like that's so beautiful thank you radhika thank you so much for being part of this this really really interesting conversation and i i hope our listeners also enjoy it with as much empathy as you brought different aspects to the table thank you so much for being here thank you so i also am so happy that you gave the pseudo science a chance it's really cool <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. In the last 1 month we have explored many topics like resilience, quitting and even rejection. Thank you so much for all the feedback that you guys have sent. It was so nice to know how exactly you implement these different hacks in your life. Especially in the episode number 66, I spoke about inviting discomforts and rejections. And many of you wondered why am I saying that? So I thought this week let's talk about the next level of that called failing forward. Have you heard of this concept? Do you know that high performers use failing forward as a strategy of failure and success to move to the next level? Let's learn more about this topic in this week's short format Friday episode. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Absolutely Right. Please review, comment and share this podcast with anybody who can get benefited by these conversations. Also send your questions to me on my Instagram handle @aditisurana. 
for this entire month of October, we are doing a special awareness drive around calmness called Kama Sutra with Aditi Surana. Every day for 12 minutes, I do a handwriting-based meditation process on my Instagram handle. This initiative will end on 31st of October. So if you haven't checked it out yet, please join me and discover a new way to ground yourself. All the details are mentioned on this link, aditisurana.com slash kamasutra, C-A-L-M. If you like this podcast, then don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on IVM Network. You can listen to us on IVM Podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IVM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Let's connect on Friday. Till then, happy writing. Whether you're an established sports person or a budding one or simply a sports enthusiast, join us, Tanvi and Shlok. We are two passionate pro badminton players talking policy, mindset and everything sport. So tune in to the Millennial Athlete every Monday. Only on the IVM Podcast Network. Trust us, it's going to be lit. Advertising is dead. Yep, you heard me right. Advertising is dead. We're all in the content business now. Let's not call it news, TV, radio, etc, etc. It's all content and we're in the middle of this weirdly exciting phase where all the borders and lines that have been drawn over decades has been swept away by this lovely thing called the internet. We're a show where we don't dwell on just the stuff that is now, but rather the wider stuff about advertising, media, content and the whole goddamn circus surrounding it. Tune in every Tuesday for our weekly unboxing of the mystery box we used to call advertising. I'm Varun Dugirala, co-founder and content chief at The Glitch and this is my new podcast, Advertising is Dead. Advertising is Dead.